Welcome to Executive Tools. Welcome to the box, chapter one, freedom and responsibility, part two. This cast answers these questions. How is being an executive different? What are some of the common mistakes of new executives? Are there rules for executives that are different? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Here we go. Okay, Mark, last time we talked about what is the box, and folks, yeah. if you don't know what the box is, then... You got to listen to part one. Go listen to part one. We get, I get in enough trouble for repeating myself, so we're not going to go gonna back over okay. part one. No. And then, uh, so today we're going to talk about box mistake number one, freedom over responsibility. And apparently, I think the implication here is there are more than one mistake. <laughs> about, oh my, yes, about, about the box, but we're, yes. in this cast, we're only going to talk about mistake number one. Look, there are a lot of mistakes that a lot of good-hearted, good-intentioned people make as they go through the various S-curves, the individual contributor getting promoted to manager, the manager getting promoted to executive, and so on. And, you know, I don't want people thinking that we're being shrew-like and shaking our finger at them at all, but wouldn't you rather know that the stakes change, the rules change a little bit, and you might might be interested in knowing, hey, Here's something that's different. You might might want to modify your behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah and this, yeah. Um, we're going to discuss the various ways that executives can stumble about the box and and about some other stuff too that have to do with being an executive. The most common box mistake is that the the new executive who thinks that her additional power gives her the opportunity, and in some cases, really the not just opportunity, but power and kind of from an organization perspective, even the right to be, quote, even more of herself, unquote. Mm -hmm. That's a direct, that's a direct quote from somebody, you know, I thought, well, they promoted me and we're all about authenticity here. So I thought they really want me to be me. No. Okay. Yeah. Let's don't, let's don't spend half an hour talking about authenticity if you don't mind. Yes. <laughs> well, I recorded manager tools this morning with Dave Wallace and and uh, the Naval Academy guy, and he started talking about authenticity. And I, if eye rolls were audible, I would have broken the microphone. So look, we find this executive behavior, freedom over responsibility, a great deal more in Wall Street and in Silicon Valley, but it ha it can happen everywhere. Typically, it's a function of insecurity and a bit of arrogance. Uh, it kind of happens for different reasons on Wall Street versus Silicon Valley. Wall Street is kind of aided and abetted by the organization because if you reach the level of an executive, you're worth a great deal of money and they want even more money from you. Whereas in Silicon Valley, it's just sort of benign neglect. They don't really think about building organizations quite well enough in Silicon Valley. Now, look, folks, I don't want you to think we're finding fault. We're just pointing out, hey, don't make this misstep. Going from manager to executive and thinking, wow, I've got more freedom, which you do, and then overplaying that freedom is just like the story of the tragedy of the welder, which is one of my favorite stories, Mike, from, from great our one. history. Yeah, we talked about that recently on the cast, maybe 10 years 10 ago. 10 years ago? 15 yeah. years ago. But, I, but it still resonates. The story of the welder who gets promoted, and I can still tell you exactly where I was when I had the conversation with this guy at a power plant southeast of San Antonio. And his heart was breaking because he was under the, he got the impression they were going to fire him because he didn't want to be a manager, but he was the best welder and they promoted him. And so he kind of got the impression I'm the 
best welder and they frowned at me, so I should continue to weld. And then they didn't tell him anything about managing and administrating and so on. And they were going to fire him. And not one person had lifted one bloody finger to help this guy understand, hey, your role's changed. And if he'd understood what the role's changed, he, he would never have taken the job. And by the way, for those of you who think your spouse will be happy with the increased pay, I've talked to plenty of spouses in my coaching and consulting career who have said, there's no amount of pay worth this amount of misery being brought home. So be careful about that. Now, basically, we're promoted from our, for, for our strengths. And so we think the organization wants more of our strength. And, and that is true, guys. Let's be clear. That is one of the threads that's true. And it's easy to latch onto that one because why wouldn't you want to do more of what got you promoted? Because you're good at it and you feel comfortable doing it. Unfortunately, doing things that you feel comfortable with when you get more responsibility are generally a bad idea. And organizations are not good. They're no better at helping executives understand the massively different context that the executive is operating in than they are with fresh college graduates or unskilled people and so on. The context of the entire organization, which is in fact the unique responsibility of the executive, I think we've said that 5,000 times in the last six months, is quite different from the responsibility that a manager might have for only part of the organization. And so the executive who doesn't understand all this and then rightly embrace the box might actually get some good early results, right? In, in some cases where the new executive is personable and well-liked, a lot of people will look at him and say, wow, he's doing great. She's doing great. And look at her go. But it can be looked at very differently from above. In fact, I just heard this, Mike. You're going to love this. I don't know if I've shared it with you. I think it's going out in a tweet sometime soon. Do you know what psychologists call organizations that are devoid of feedback? No. What? There's a name for it in the literature. It's called a wicked organization. A wicked organization. Yeah, wicked. That it is wicked for a concept, for a construct, for an organization, for another person to have purview over someone else and then to not give them feedback. It's considered wicked. Which is why the high-performing organizations wow. in the world are bathed and in feedback all the time, People right? People think we're full of hyperbole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just love that. They actually use a really rich, powerful, <laughs> yeah. trenchant word like wicked. But my point is, they're not going to give this new executive a whole lot of feedback because one of the rules about feedback, about executives, counterintuitively as well, well executives don't get feedback, <laughs> Right. Look, when you become an executive, you're part of the leadership of the entire organization. I think I said recently, the best example of someone becoming a truly effective executive is when they start making recommendations and plans for the organization that don't benefit themselves, that don't increase their own budget, their own power. At this point as an executive, we're now judged not on what we do for our group, although that is what there are metrics for, but on what we do for the entire organization. Some of that may, in fact, be your org, but it has to be in relationship to the entire organization. So if you don't know this, a junior executive comes in, starts doing whatever he or she did, 
without the context to see how they're affecting the entire org. There are people who fight their way up to an executive role in part by building fiefdoms, in part by protecting themselves, in part by skirmishing constantly with other parts of the organization. You take that skill up a level where the executives expect you to see now big picture, to understand the entire organization, that it takes many, many hands to, to make the outcomes the organization wants. You know, that's a particularly challenging thing, right? For a new executive, the idea that they're being evaluated by their bosses, that whether or not they're taking care of the larger organization. Oh, absolutely. And their subordinates are still thinking, hey, take care of us. That's right? exactly they, right. There's that divergent of, of uh, yeah, agreed. perspective. And, and more and more, senior executives aren't going to correct them but they're still going to judge them. They're still going to evaluate them. They are, whether you want them to or not. So now look, we're not saying that you shouldn't feel a little bit more free. The freedoms you have as an executive are necessary. You may not realize this, but if you don't, now you'll know. There's always, by necessity in human culture, a balance between freedoms and responsibilities. It's necessary. It's why the perennial argument about, and some of you are not going to like me for telling you this, I'm sorry, but this is human history we're talking about here, not popular culture. But the argument that we have every five or 10 years in the culture all over the world about granting children rights is a completely flawed argument because we cannot have rights without responsibilities, and no one is suggesting that children be given full adult rights, right? If you have rights, but you don't have responsibility, that's called anarchy or totalitarianism. Nor can we have responsibilities without rights, because that's tyranny. So, as your rights grow, inevitably, as your power grows, your responsibility grows, and the fork in the road is, do you embrace the power or do you embrace the responsibility? And the most effective executives tread lightly with their freedoms. In fact, the ones who are really good probably clamp down a little bit harder on themselves in the service to others. Not that they have to wear a uh, sackcloth and ashes. They don't have to wear a hair shirt every day and be miserable about all this power and responsibility they have. You don't have to do that. But you do have to tread lightly with the new freedoms. You know, your additional budget probably allows you to fly first class. Should you? Probably your organization, let's say, has season tickets to sporting events. They're available to you at this level. But you should know they're not for you. They're for your organization. You're not supposed to be the one that goes. That's freedom. Responsibility is, who could I gift these to in my part of the organization? Now, look, if you want to entertain a client or a vendor, of course, wonderful. Or, again, share them with someone in your part of the organization or think of someone among your peers who could benefit by hosting someone that would end up benefiting the entire organization. Something else, I alluded to this before, but um, uh, in terms of creating fiefdoms, you cannot denigrate other parts of the organization ever. You don't get to do that anymore. You're not in the minor leagues anymore. You're in the majors now, and you represent all of the organization, even though 
you are in one part of it. You represent all of it. In fact, you're not really part of your organization. You now are the organization. So when you decry some other part of the organization, you're pointing out your own faults and your responsible responsibility is larger now and you should act like it. I'll never forget my brother Walt sent me a, it was a just a like a picture of a poster in a, I can't remember where, like in a walkway somewhere. And it was a picture of a, of a human being walking, sort of a drawing. And it says, you are the product of 2 billion years of evolution. Act like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I think the thing that people often forget, executives often forget, particularly new executives, is they make a comment in a small setting. They say it quietly. They denigrate some other part of the organization. What they Ugh. forget, it doesn't matter what volume they use or how yeah. many people are there. They speak with a megaphone, right? Yeah. And that's, yeah I, yeah, I I wasn't really serious. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's not how it comes across. Yeah, um, you can also get to talk about things outside of the organization, but just because you have an opportunity to speak outside of the organization doesn't mean that aligns with your duties, and you have to be careful about that. In some cases, an executive role comes with an administrative assistant. If you want to mark yourself as a future failing executive, don't learn how to maximize your effectiveness with your admin. Continue to be an individual player rather than someone who can delegate significant tasks and responsibilities to a trusted advisor, which is what your admin ought to well, be. The, the biggest rookie mistake I've seen a number of times, which is, oh, I have an admin. I've never had an admin before. I don't need an admin, so I'll get rid of the admin. And I will save, uh, the, save uh, the organization budget. some yeah. amount of money. Um, that's small thinking right there. Yeah, cut off your nose to spite your face. Yeah, but but by God, don't don't have an admin and not use him effectively, right? That's right. You know, that's the yeah. I, we could go on and on and on and on about admins and the value and so on. And, and you're like, okay, you get rid of him. You think you're saving the company money? The whole point of an admin being a hundred thousand dollars when let's say you're a quarter million dollars is that that hundred thousand dollars will make you worth five hundred thousand dollars. So the idea that you're saving a hundred? No, you're costing yeah, us a quarter of a million. <laughs> yeah, uh, something else too. I think I just might have <laughs> tweeted this or somebody else. Got Don't assume, folks, because everyone is listening when you talk, that what you say is more important than what other people were saying before you interrupted. Do not assume that when you interrupt, everyone stops talking because what you say is dispositive. That it's so clearly superior. Why would they possibly listen then? Yeah. Those people stop talking because of your role power, not because of the power of your ideas. Don't kid yourself. I'm pretty soon you're going to tell me my jokes aren't funny either. Yeah. The, the, you, know, you know what this is? Well, my jokes aren't funny either. At least we're old enough to know it, right? But I, I told somebody, I said, yeah, the emperor has no clothes. And they said, what? I said, you know, the story, the emperor that has no clothes. He, he, the, the tailors were fooling him, and he came out naked, and the only people who didn't cheer, like, look at the, the you know, everyone was essentially in on the game and, and fawning over the, the, the regent, the, the, the king. And, uh, you know, some kid finally said, no, he doesn't have any clothes on. And you get used to being catered to a little bit. 
And it can go to your head easily because we all have our own securities. In fact, don't assume you should talk at all if your organization is getting where you need it to go. On, on average, probably, you're an assertive communicator, but your new responsibilities require you to see the bigger picture. You don't have to add value all of the time. And this is another uh, uh, box problem that we're going to discuss in a future cast. Now, look, maybe your point that you're going to make is slightly better than the last one. But don't assume that when your suggestion becomes the plan that you've done what you're supposed to do. You have to learn to listen more and talk less. You're free to talk and you're smart to not talk. And remember, even though your idea was 2% better than one of your directs, now that direct doesn't get his or her idea implemented. You don't need your idea implemented. They might need the benefit of their idea being implemented. And 1% or 2% is not enough in the field of human endeavor because it isn't math to justify you adding additional value by saying, well, I think I can make that better. Or, you know, we could do this and it could be better this way. It could be better this way. It could be better this way. That's not really what your role is. Oh, we got to talk about that one soon. Yeah, we will. Basically, an executive's broader perspective, though it's not usually appreciated, calls for less speaking up on operational and tactical issues. Now, look, If you embrace the freedom of your role, you're going to want to speak up, to share, to teach. And all those are fine in moderation. They are. But your larger responsibilities mean that you cannot be involved in every decision, in every discussion, in every detail. And be aware that when you do weigh in, your role power will trump too many of those discussions. You'll create people who wait for you. And that will slow the organization down. Your responsibility is to the organization, not to stroking your own ego because, listen, look at me. They're listening to me. Yeah, it's just a classic, classic here. I could go on and on, Mike, but I think now's a good time to stop. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is, uh, God, I wish I had, I wish somebody had boxed me in the years. Me too. 40 years ago and taught me this stuff. That's why we're doing this, right? Because we learned all this stuff the hard way. So, Okay. So folks, summarizing, when you become an executive, it's not about you anymore. And I'll tell you something else. It never was about you. (laughs) Uh, The executive, early in his or her new role, must learn to focus on the duties and responsibilities and not embrace the freedom. The freedom, believe it or not, in the role of an executive is the dark side. And the responsibilities is the light side. Don't fight the box, even if it changes. Embrace the box. The feeling you have of my responsibilities outweigh my freedoms. That's good. That means people trust you with the responsibility for other people's lives and livelihoods. And that's a burden worth bearing. But you don't achieve success bearing it by engaging on your freedoms. Yeah. Easier said than done, folks. Yeah, Work yeah. on it. Work on it. Never ending. All right. Thank you, my friend. Okay. Thanks, partner. Have a great one. See y'all. See y'all.